Welcome, awesome admission professionals. This podcast is the Admissions Entrepreneur, a day in the life. I'm your host, Tom Skank, and I'm the founder of Dartmouth Associates. We are the creators of the results-oriented recruiting solution known as ROAR. ROAR is an enrollment intervention strategy that integrates entrepreneurial thinking and sales fundamentals to immediately help schools in crisis. We offer personal 360 consulting as well as affordable training products on the website. If you need help, please go to our website at dartmouthassociates.com. That's dartmouthassociates.com or email us at dartmouthassociates at gmail.com. That is dartmouthassociates at gmail.com. Today, we are bringing fun and insights to your profession. We have exciting people who share their unique life stories with you. We've got a lineup of fabulous guests, so please make sure to catch each episode. Now, let's get started. Mark, I'm absolutely delighted to have you as my guest. I remember your warmth and kindness when I first met you early in my career as a young admission officer at my first IECA conference. Well, now let me officially introduce you. You are Mark Sclero, Chief Executive Officer of the Independent Educational Consultants Association. Over the course of your professional career, you have won numerous awards, including a volunteer board service award from the University of California Extension and the AAU, which is the Amateur Athletic Union. And you were actually Teacher of the Year multiple times, which you refer to in your own modest style as minor stuff. Also, you have written numerous articles on college admission issues for the very successful Insights, the official magazine of the IECA and the IECA blog. Additionally, you have contributed numerous articles for educational publications. Furthermore, you have a book credit in a supplemental text on American government published by Newsweek magazine. Wow! Over the course of your distinguished career, you've been the CEO for the IECA for over 27 years. Under your leadership, I personally have had the privilege of watching it grow exponentially as you have added multiple professional development programs for your members. Early in your career, you were the director of Philadelphia Association of Students. And like all good people, you started out as a teacher instructing social science. Furthermore, you actually have a producer credit for the black entertainment television special, City at Peace. And you have also served as the president of your synagogue. Personally, you've been married for 41 years, which I just realized my wife Nancy and I have also been married for 41 years. So I'm sure that we would both agree we married up. You've got two great kids and three grandchildren, which I'm very jealous about. And very importantly, you describe yourself as a serious cook, which I'd like to get back to later. 
People can reach out to you via your email at msclero at iecaonline.com. And of course, on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. Mark, welcome. Well, thank you, Tom. <laughs> I'm a guy with a pretty modest career, and you made it sound very, uh, very exciting. So I thank you for that. I'm, well, it's, as I said, it's, it's my pleasure, and I, and I, I I've truly uh, have felt honored uh, knowing you early on and kind of throughout my career. Uh, you've always been, I guess, my sense, a very classy guy, very down to earth, always willing to listen. Well, very kind of you. I appreciate that. Uh, let me start out by asking you, uh, when you first started with IECA, did you ever in your wildest dreams think that we would be sitting here 27 years later? So I guess, uh, would you be kind enough to kind of talk about the evolution from when you started then to what's happened now? Yeah, you know, I, I had come out of the classroom. I had uh, run a civic education organization, presidential classroom, uh, was, did some international youth exchange work, and I was really looking for something a little bit different. And when I applied for the job at IECA, I had not a clue what an independent <laughs> educational consultant was. Uh, there was no Google to help me. I went to the library and did a little bit of research. Uh, trying to figure out what this group was. And I really had mixed feelings, to be honest. Uh, I applied for the job. I know that more than 600 people applied for the job as well, almost, all from, right? all, almost all from the admissions world. Uh, I, in the end, I got to know all of the other finalists that were brought <laughs> in for interviews because they were all admissions people that I, that I got to know. And because I was unsure... I think I walked into the interview, um, let's just say more uh, settled on the idea that they'd have to convince me that I'd want this job more than the other way mm -hmm. around, which, yes. which somehow worked in my favor. Uh, because my sense when I first learned about educational consultants, it sounded like a bunch of rich people who helped other <laughs> rich people uh, find a school for their spoiled kids. And I thought, who would want to do that as a career? Like, you know, I, I was an educator in Philly. Uh, and I thought, that does not sound like a lot of fun to me. Uh, and yet, uh, at, by the end of the interview, uh, I had been sort of won over uh, by the group. I think they appreciated me being candid about starting a foundation, about making sure that educational consultants had a commitment to equity uh, and, and other issues of that kind. And uh, in the end, uh, I walked out and in a very cocky way, I went to a pay phone and called my wife <laughs> and I said, oh, they're gonna call and offer me the job. And she <laughs> said, uh oh, I hate when you're like this. I kind of hope they don't. Uh, <laughs> to teach you a lesson. And I, as I walked in the house, uh, coming back from the interview, she said, they called. And so, uh, I, I, you know, the, the group uh, that helped them do the search, the executive search firm told them, don't hire someone for the long term, hire someone for the next four years. 
and I went wow. into it thinking I'll take the job for the next four years or so. Sure. And wow. I don't think I or the team that hired me uh, ever imagined uh, that I would still be here. This episode is sponsored by the Independent Educational Consultants Association. It is the largest and most respected organization representing independent educational consultants. An IECA member educational consultant is a skilled professional who provides counseling to help students and families choose a school that is a good personal match, one that will foster the student's academic and social growth. IECA members adhere to the strictest ethical standards in the profession, visit hundreds of campuses each year, and are among the most experienced educational consultants in the profession. They focus on finding the best match between student and school. Many schools have gained students from new communities because of their outreach to IECA members. Personally, I was a director of admissions for 20 years, and the IECA consultants were crucial in helping me find the best mission-appropriate students. They are fantastic people to work with. In fact, national and regional media, as well as government agencies, rely on IECA as the authority of the profession. IECA is consistently cited by the media as the association with ethical, student-centered advising. For more information on how to connect with IECA members, go to IECAonline.com. That's IECAonline.com. And, and the reason I'm here, I think, still after these years is I love what we do. Uh, I love helping kids find the right place where they're going to thrive. Uh, I love helping my members to stay uh, up to date and educated and look for solutions for kids. You know, if anything's changed, uh, Tom, I think it's that kids have become so much more complicated uh, we, we finally are viewing each kid as an individual, which I don't, I don't know that we were doing 25 years ago. And so uh, every kid is a puzzle. And I love the fact that our members' job is let's figure out this puzzle and let's figure out the, the place in, in, the, in the entire world that's the right place for a little uh, Jamal or a little Susie or, or Fred to, to just blossom. Well, what fun that is. And I've been lucky enough that uh, they haven't gotten rid of me. Was there a point where you said, I think I'm going to stay longer than four years? I mean, what, what kind of happened when you changed your mindset? I, I, the field was changing so quickly. The day I arrived, IECA was primarily helping on uh, independent day and boarding schools. Uh -huh. But it was so clear that the college field was growing, the therapeutic field was growing. Uh, everything about admissions seemed to be changing. Uh, uh, even back then, now we'd laugh and think about technology back then was so rudimentary, but there was right. some technology coming. But I, I saw this field as being essential. I, I got the board to adopt a philosophy that every child deserves great advising. And whether that comes from an IECA member or it comes from somebody else, 
we ought to be working to make sure that every child can reach potential by getting great counseling. And I, I just saw that we have the potential to do that. And uh, we, we've grown every year that I've been there. Uh, and part of that has allowed me to, uh, to keep expanding, uh, offer more for our members. Uh, it, 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 it's just it, it given me the freedom to try new things and experiment. And, and it's just been, it, it's been great. If I didn't enjoy myself, I obviously wouldn't still be there. Sure. Uh, there were times I wondered whether I want to be on your side of the admissions table or, <laughs> uh, I, you know, whether I want to be doing something else in this field uh, and given opportunities to do that. But each time said, no, I, I just love the unique role that a consultant plays in this process. What are you most excited about now? It, it seems like every year uh, you just don't stop there. You've got different programs going on. Is there Something that you're particularly excited about that you're working on now? I would say this. The thing that's probably changed the most over the last couple of years has been figuring out how to uh, harness the excitement of our members and the willingness to share and the knowledge coming along. Um, consultants wanting to teach their colleagues and, and technologies allowed us to do that in new ways and, and, and exciting ways. Uh, we're running five or six webinars a week right Is now for right? our, for, oh, absolutely. And that's not counting what our regional groups are doing. We created regional groups and we created affinity groups and we created all these other groups that are out there. Certainly our commitment to diversity, equity and inclusion is, is an important thing going on right now in, in schools across the country through within a group like IECA as well. I'm just excited by the potential uh, that, you know, we're at, we're at 2,500 members today. Uh, when I first met you, we were probably at 400. Is that and, right? Wow. And we'll probably double in the next three years. No kidding. Uh, and it, it's that ability to help more kids. Uh, increasingly, we have members working with community-based organizations as well as in private practice. So the field continues to evolve. It's still a challenge for me. Needless to say, this past year was more of a challenge than I really sure, needed. Sure, uh, but uh, it, it, yeah, it, it, it's just been, it's been fun. Well, I want to delve into the, uh, the, uh, the Mark Sklaro that uh, people don't know at the desk. Um, but first, I wanted to just ask you, what is it that you feel admissions officers really can do? to help themselves moving forward, especially as they work with educational consultants? Yeah, I think that, you know, two things I really think that admissions officers really need to, to do. One, they need to really understand and own their own school and what their school does exceedingly well. I, I, if I listen to one more admission, 
director tell me that they're a great school for a bright kid who needs a little more motivation, I swear to God, I'm going to shoot myself. It, it, uh, it, you know, there are some schools that should be telling their environmental program that they bring to life by using their campus. And there are other schools that should talk about how they prepare kids with internships. And, uh, uh, you know, every school has something unique that they're doing. And I, I want schools to own it. I often say, Tom, when working with a consultant, get rid of the funnel. Like the funnel's the worst thing you ever learned. The concept of let's just get as many kids as possible to apply and then we'll figure out which is the right kid for us. Well, everyone's trying to capture those same kids and funnel them in different directions. What I like to say to an admissions person, think of a consultant as the straw. The consultant's gonna find for you the right kid and they're gonna help that kid to find a home at your school, but only if you are able to explain fully who you best serve. If a consultant doesn't have a clear idea of who you are, who is, who is gonna be the right student for you, what you do that's so unique and, and different from everybody else, how are they gonna think of you? The consultants often work by the aha moment. They're sitting across from a family, they're listening to the kid and they go, oh my God, that's a hillside kid, right? Or, yes. oh, that's a Cheshire Academy kid. Because they have this clear image. Great little story, even though it's a college one, I hope you'll, you'll, <laughs> you'll like this. So of course I used uh, educational consultants for my own daughters when they were doing their college search. And we met with consultant who asked my daughter, Michelle, my elder daughter, what she was thinking about college. And she said, since the day I held my first Crayola crayon, I've wanted to be an artist. So I wanna be an artist. And the consultant then talked to her over the next hour about what she would like and what she envisioned. She pulled out, she brings my wife and I back in. She writes on a three by five card, we don't know what, <laughs> puts it in an envelope, seals it. And she said, I know where she's going to end up. And we spend a year wow. visiting campuses, looking at art schools. At one point, my daughter says, wait, art school? But she, so she's visiting art schools and she goes, but where, what do you do on a Friday night? There's no football game. <laughs> and it's suddenly like, yeah, art schools don't have football teams. And it's like, well, I want that. That's part of the college experience. And now a whole new list of colleges <laughs> come in. <laughs> and then my daughter says, you know what? Everybody wants to go far away. I don't want to be more than a couple of hours from my parents. Like I love my parents. I want to go home for holidays. Okay. Let's redo the list yet again. We're going to redo the list. In the end, my daughter does an overnight at the University of Delaware, was never on our radar. And she says, that's it. I'm applying early decision to Delaware. It's the perfect place for me. I loved everything about the University of Delaware. Consultant says, open the envelope. University of Delaware. No kidding. And that's because that consultant both knew UD and got to know my daughter and realized that it was the perfect match. No big funnel, 
no, let's apply to a million places. Not, it, it was, this was the place after doing the research and she knew it from the beginning. It was, it was an amazing process. Well, you know, that's a beautiful point because you've spoken to the fact that admission officers, they have to have a certain amount of courage, right? They have to be able to say, this is who we can serve and this is who we can't. And I think for those who are less experienced, you know, like you said, they want to get, let's just get them in the funnel and then we'll figure it out. But they have to have that courage to really know their school. Well, and, and you know, I said I had two things. So the, the first thing was about this, know your school and be able to articulate that. But the second thing, and with all due respect to my admissions colleagues, the best advice I can give is to shut up and listen. Listen to the parent, listen to the student, find out what they are looking for or else you're selling the wrong thing. I, I, I think, you know, I, I hear, I go on tours of, of boarding schools or I go on tours of colleges and they spend so much time talking about cafeterias. <laughs> Nobody cares that there's a buffet available every day. I mean, that just, they don't. And I know part of that is to make sure mom knows, yes, we're going to feed your child, but it's listening to that family. Maybe this is a kid with a high anxiety level or it, it's a child who has been a loner and what they're really looking for is to make sure that there will be connections drawn among the other kids in the school. But you don't know what the, the selling point is unless you hear it from the parent. And so th that's my second piece of advice for admissions uh, folks is to stop selling right off the bat and listen instead to figure out what it is that this family is looking for. Yes. And, and as we talked earlier before we started, uh, good selling is good listening. It, it is indeed. Uh, you know, a, a school's job, that when you're in the admissions office, you're solving a problem for the family. The family's problem is, is that their local school isn't right, or the child doesn't feel that they belong, or the family situation, family dynamics suggest that they're looking for something else. You're solving a problem for them. If you don't listen to find out what the problem is, how in the world could you possibly solve it? Imagine going to a doctor and the doctor immediately, as soon as you walk in the door, starts telling you what medicine and what surgery is, and it's before you've had a chance to say, e my elbow hurts. I, I mean, you've got to stop <laughs> to know what you're selling uh, within, within the school. This episode is sponsored by School Connections. The idea is simple, affordable, and meaningful venues for traditional boarding schools, therapeutic schools, and domestic and international educational consultants to come together for informational and networking purposes. This process ultimately leads to the successful placing of students into the most compatible environments. School Connections workshops involve multiple individual meetings between educational consultants and admissions representatives from schools and programs. Their workshops range from two to three days and allow attendees to maximize their time with individual appointments in one workshop in one location. I know from experience, School Connections is a fantastic 
fantastic program. And if you are looking for students, please reach out to them at schoolconnections.org. That's schoolconnections.org. Admission officers can't be thrown in. There has to be a commitment to training. Um, just basic rudimentary training on an ongoing basis. You know, You're absolutely no, right. There's no question. And, and if I were giving advice to a headmaster of a school today, I, I, would, I would underscore the value of that admissions professional uh, to the future of the school. They pay it lip service, but are they putting their money where their mouth is? Are they making sure they are well-trained on new technologies? Are they making sure they're trained in communications? Are they making sure that, that they really can maximize their job? And I sometimes think that uh, heads feel like I've got a great school. Someone just has to explain that and the kids will show up. And that's not how admissions <laughs> works because there's a lot of great schools. Absolutely. It's, it, it's learning how to, how, how to marry technology uh, and I, you know what I say? How do you? How are you going to humanize the technology that's there? Because it, the school has to feel that you. That, sorry, the parent has to feel that you want their child, that you get them, like you're excited about bringing their child there because their child's going to thrive. Well, that isn't necessarily something everyone gets. And so it's making sure they're trained on that kind of communication and even. I hate to say that the ugly word of sales, maybe a little training in sales uh, would be a good thing uh, for, for a head or uh, to, to offer to their admissions people, especially someone who's new into admissions. Well, that's, and that's certainly something that I have found with my clients is just taking them through strategies that no one ever explained to them before. Um, but ultimately it's, it gets back to, making people feel that they are listened to and really wanted. Because uh, as parents, you know, if we feel there's somebody who can do for our kid, we'll, we'll do anything we can. Yeah, you know what's so funny, Tom, is that many years ago, consultants used to talk about the fact that parents would, would come to them and say, eh, my, kid, <laughs> my kid's nothing special. They're just kind of your average kid. Uh, you know, they, they haven't cured cancer or they haven't, you know, started a new nonprofit. They're just an average kid. Parents don't do that anymore. Every parent sees their kid as this combination of unique skills and personality traits. We, we now view every kid as different and we teach kids differently, right? That, uh, what we've learned about learning differences is that probably every kid learns differently. Absolutely. And so with parents arriving with that, it's, no, 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 you may think you do a good job teaching. That doesn't mean you do a good job teaching my Johnny. Yes. yes. And so that's part of understanding if you're not, so again, let's get back to listening, right? If you listen and you hear where's the parent anxiety, oh, they think that this kid is a little too withdrawn and shy. Well, now I know I can talk to them about how we have small class size and the kids will get to know the teacher and the teacher will be able to draw the student out. Well, that's not the same message as when Johnny's little sister comes a few years later, who's a dynamo. 
Then the message, of course, is how are you going to give her that opportunity to shine? Sure. And so it, but that's all part of the, 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 the active listening skill that has to precede sales. Yeah. And that'll never go away ever. You, you have to let them know that you are here for them first and foremost, that they are the most important person of your day. I mean, I think we all feel that. Well, and again, you know, this is a parent thinking, what am I going to do with my 14 or 15 year old? If you don't treat them like they're the most important person of the day, why would I give my child to you? I'm just not going to do that. I need to know that somehow you seem to value my child as much as I value my child. That, that that's, that's not an easy sell all the time, but that's the name of the game, I think, in admissions. And, and that's, I think, what makes it such a unique skill set is when that person is talking to the director or one of the staff of admissions, they are also representing the coach, the head of school, the trustees, everybody all rolled into one. You know, here's, here's a good example that I'm gonna take from the college world and apply it to the school world. I'm sure it fits as well. Look, every college does a great job for somebody. I, I really believe that. There's no such thing as just a terrible college. Every college is the right college for somebody. But students will go on a college tour and hate the tour guide. They'll yeah. hate that, that kid that's walking backwards, showing them campus. And they will come back and they will look at their parents and say, get out of here. I hate this place. Because that student that they've just spent the last hour with touring campus, they generalize is what everybody's like. The same is true yeah. in admissions, not just for the student, but the admissions officer. You know, uh, most students, maybe they'll meet the coach. They're not going to meet their social studies teacher. They're not going to meet their English teacher. They're not going to meet the dorm parent. They know you. That's right. And you really do. I, I, and that also is a great lesson for, I think, heads to understand, right? Is this person is your school to everyone who's going to come and take a look, everyone who's going to talk on the phone. I, I have heard stories, we all have heard stories of an admission director taking a phone call on the fly, right? They're busy, they're taking a phone call on the fly, and they use the wrong name for the student. Oh, brother. Uh, yep. Yep. End of that, right? Yes. If, if, you, if I don't, you don't care enough to learn my kid's name, I'm not sending my kid to your school. So all of those skills that have to be mastered, it's important for the, for the admissions person to understand the, the sales piece, the personable piece, the connectedness to the, to the student and the parent uh, piece. But let's, let's just say those aren't necessarily inborn skills. I think too often uh, schools will elevate a really engaging teacher to admissions. Uh -huh. yes. Thinking, oh, yes. oh, they've got the right personality, right? We've yes. all heard that. Oh, they have a great personality. <laughs> Well, if you, did, if you haven't been taught admissions, a good personality only gets you so far. And, and let's remember that a good teacher walks in the classroom and they have a lesson to give. In admissions, you don't know what that lesson is until you've spoken to the family and figure out what lesson they need. 
I, I love the way you put that. That's right. You can't have a template that you're going to just apply to every kid. Uh, and, you, and you only get the knowledge by listening. Absolutely. A lot of, a lot of sage stuff. Uh, let me, let me talk about the Mark, uh, you know, the Mark, uh, you know, the personal guy, but first, you know, being a successful CEO, uh, you've got a lot of demands. Everybody wants your time, including your wife and your kids. So what does a day look like and how do you remain sane with all these different responsibilities? How do you, how do you manage that? How do you stay emotionally focused? What do you do? What are your, what are your secrets? You know, I'm lucky that I love my work. Uh, I don't come home uh, grumpy and tired and uh, (laughs) I've had those jobs. Sure. Uh, We all have. You'd walk in the house and the, the kids want your attention and you're like, oh, the last thing I need is anybody else needing something from me right now. Thank God I haven't had that at ICA. I've loved the work that I've done and, and I've grown. I mean, I think when I started with IECA, I had kids in elementary school <laughs> and, now grand, and now it's grandkids. Uh, it, it, but I also think, you know, it's interesting my wife and I have work that overlap, but aren't, it's not the same. Uh, she, she's, a, she's a speech therapist. Uh-huh. Uh, and so she's dealing with LD issues and she's, oh dealing, she's dealing with 504 plans and all of that stuff. So at least I get it. Like I, 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 I understand what she is doing. She understands the, the work that I do. Uh, I think what's so interesting, Tom, is that if you look at our two daughters, one loves singing the conferences and all of that. And she went into meeting planning, uh, working for Marriott Hotels as a a senior meeting uh, planning person. She now works uh, in that general field. The other daughter became a social worker because she wanted to work with those kids that weren't finding an easy path. And she saw that at our conferences, that there are the people working with kids whose path to success is a little more uh, circuitous uh, than, than others. And so it, it you know, I, I know some people would say that the key is the separation of work and home. And for us, it was sort of the blending of it all together. We all appreciated what everybody else was doing. And and we all sort of found a piece of this that we would tie into. It's really been kind of fascinating to tell you the truth. Well, it's interesting that you would bring that up. I uh, was just on the phone with somebody who you know is Pat Finn, who oh. has who uh, you know who's who brought that wonderful combination of, of your consultants and directors of admissions in a very organized way. And when I asked him about how he organized his day, he said the same thing. Now he did it at boarding schools, but the philosophy was the same is that there isn't that separation. There's just kind of this melding of everybody's needs and wants in a comfortable way that's communicated. Yeah, it's funny, even if I think back, I still am in touch. You know, you mentioned early on that I used to be in an independent school in Philadelphia, became Dean of Students there. And I remain in touch with hundreds of students. 
uh, there isn't a day that goes by that I don't hear from one of my students from 40 years ago. Wow. And, but they're just as likely to talk to my wife. I mean, they, they know <laughs> well. Uh, and, and, and so I do think that there's strength in the fact that it, it sort of all came together. All of these interests just melded in a way that was, was really comfortable. Now, I, I've got to tell you, I asked about how you organize your life. I'm looking at you and it seems like you don't age. So, I mean, do you eat certain foods? Do you work out in a certain way? Do you meditate? So let me just say, everything hurts. <laughs> um, there is, except maybe the brand new knee, but everything around that hurts. <laughs> um, I, you know, I, I really do believe, I mean, frankly, you look very much the same. And I'll bet that, that in the end, it's in part because we do enjoy what we're doing and, and, you know, we are not, every day is in so full of tension. Yes. Uh, you know, Tom, you may remember this. Uh, years ago, we were supposed to be in Toronto for an IECA conference and SARS hit. A week before the conference, <laughs> uh, we got word that the airport was being closed in Toronto. Now, normally that would cause unbelievable anxiety and tension and everything else. And I got my staff together and I said, okay, guys, what are we going to do? And they were like, let's do the conference somewhere else. It was, I have had such a great team that even what, what should cause the greatest level of anxiety uh, has instead turned into a fun, exciting a challenge can we figure out how with one week to go, could we actually run a conference somewhere else? And we did. Uh, and, I, you know, there's been things like that this past year. Uh, we, we decided the other day, to put this in perspective, we, we decided we better do something to honor our volunteers. So many people stepped up this year and let's do something. So we guessed that we were going to have 50 to 100 uh, volunteers we're going to do a special virtual event and send them all really nice gifts to their home to thank them. We ordered a hundred gifts. We started pulling the list together of volunteers, called back the company and said, make it 150 gifts. <laughs> Two days later, we called back and said, okay, we need 200 gifts, but we're sure that's all we need. 270 members had stepped up in this past year in a significant volunteer role. Wow. And some of them were, let's put together a list, every boarding school, are they open? Are they closed? You know, how are, what are they doing right now? Somebody else said, well, I want to know which ones will allow consultants to come to campus, which one won't. And they said, we'll call all of the boarding schools in America and we'll put together a list. Somebody else said, you know, wouldn't it be fun to do virtual tours of all of these schools? Let's call the schools and do a virtual tour for consultants. And we began running them. Now, think, things shut down about May, March 15th. That's right. That's uh, right. Last year, by March 25th, we were doing virtual school tours within 10 days. And, wow. And, but to, you can tell I get excited. Sure. You, you, you get to see me. <laughs> uh, others don't say, I get kind of excited about that because, my God, faced with that kind of challenge, let's have fun with this. Let's figure out a solution to this. 
very little gets me down. This episode is brought to you by ISCA. Does your board chair know about ISCA, the Independent School Chairpersons Association? The mission of ISCA is to support independent school board chairs in becoming effective governance leaders for their boards. ISCA accomplishes this by offering peer support and networking resources and educational opportunities. Get your board chair connected to ISCA today by visiting iscachairs.org. That's I-S-C-A-C-H-A-I-R-S dot org. I-S-C-A-C-H-A-I-R-S dot org. Uh, and I'll tell you, from my observation, part of your secret sauce is, number one, your enthusiasm, and two, you convey that enthusiasm and that, and that trust with your staff. And I, can, and I can tell you specifically, I've been working with Gene quite a bit. And what an outstanding, just high integrity, uh, gets right back to me. And I'm sure that that's kind of the ethos of your whole team. So we, over the years, in in 27 years, uh, I like to tell people that I have hired about 13 people and fired two. It's, I, it, you find the right person, you train them the right way. You don't, you don't bring in anybody that you have, you, you're, you're not sure of, you bring sure. in great people. Sure. And I, we've just brought in the, 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 the best staff, everyone committed to the, to what we do. Everyone committed to success of the organization Jean has only been with us for a year. She's, she's our newest That's right. employee. That's right. And yet Jean coming from another uh, organization where everything was so segmented, she has just loved the fact she gets to go to conferences and, and whether they're <laughs> virtual or real, that she gets to, you know, run webinars and she gets to, I, it, she is, and I think we all do. I remember a great story uh, years ago, a fire chief uh, takes over a, uh, a, a city's fire department and he's meeting guys and he says, what do you do? And the guy says, I'm the guy, I drive the fire truck. And this person says, I'm, I'm the hose guy, you know, that's, <laughs> I hook it up to the, and they go one by one. And the fire chief says, none of you are right. You all do one thing, you put out fires. I don't care what your specific task is. That task is meaningless if we need you to do something else. Always remember your job is to put out fires regardless of, of your task. And I think I've tried to do that with staff. Gene's job isn't to work with vendors. It isn't to work with advertisers. All of us have the same job and that's to see IECA grow, thrive and solve problems. We're always looking for how we solve our members' number one problem. Well, it, uh, it, it's certainly been my experience. Well, let me, let me uh, get back to a problem. Uh, it sounds like you solved pretty well, and that's nutrition. Tell me about <laughs> your cooking. What, what gets you excited when you stand in front of the stove? What do you, what do you like to cook? So there are really two things there. The first is I love uh, doing a big meal. And what I mean, I, you know, for Thanksgiving, we could have 23, 24 people for Thanksgiving. And I don't let anybody prepare anything. I've got really? to do it all. 
And that means because you've got different sides of the family and you've got, you know, cousins and you've got all this other stuff that it may mean three kinds of potatoes and <laughs> two kinds of, of stuffing and uh, it just it, a million different dishes. And to me, the greatest thing in the world is to be so exhausted when we sit down to eat that I can't even touch anything. I just sit back and watch everybody enjoying themselves. Uh, it, it's, it's, it, and I think part of what I love about cooking, to be honest, Tom, is the work that we do in our jobs doesn't end, right? It goes on and on. That's right. You can prepare a big meal, you're done, put it on the table, watch everybody eat. Uh, you know, right up to the, the, the cheesecake or the, or, or, or the, you know, something else at, at the very end from beginning to end and it's done. And, and I, I think that knowing you've, you've sort of accomplished this event and you don't have to get up the next day and do it again, it is, is a great feeling. The other thing I really like, uh, I had both of my grandmothers lived to be over a hundred. Wow. Uh, both were amazing cooks, old world cooks. <laughs> I think they put chicken fat in, in everything they made, in, in, including cookies. <laughs> I mean, everything it was, was made with chicken fat. And, uh, but for both of them, their children didn't want to do any cooking. You know, I'm sure cooking was such a chore for them that they saw. And, and so I've inherited a lot of those recipes and I have loved sort of, I, I have to admit, I don't chicken fat them up. I look for some later <laughs> alternative, but, but I do love sort of making some of the, the dishes that came from uh, Russia and Ukraine and, and other places in, in Eastern Europe where my family was from. So uh, that, I, I, those are the two things that I think I really enjoy is sort of keeping those old recipes alive. Sure. Uh, and, but anytime you give me a big group and I'm just a happy guy. <laughs> well, I got to ask you, do you make your own cheesecake too? Oh my God. I, I will tell you, I, I, I'm not a guy that brags. I will tell you, I make probably the best cheesecake and always creative uh, I'll, I'll, I'll do a caramel crunch cheesecake or I'll do, uh, yeah, it's, it's funny. Actually, I mentioned my daughter went to Delaware. So somewhere along the line, her, one of her art teachers heard her say that my dad makes like the best cheesecakes. And he, he asked me to make a cheesecake for the class. And I, uh, I, of course I obliged. It was my daughter's grade. I had to oblige, uh, but that was fun just to show up on the campus uh, with, with a cheesecake uh, for the group. But yeah, I love, I love baking as well as cooking. <clears throat> Let me ask you, you, it seems like you've got an energy and a passion for so many things <laughs> in life. What, <clears throat> what were you like in, as, as an elementary school kid, as a high school kid, kind of the same guy, have you changed? Oh, you know, this, so this is going to sound funny. I, it, on a Myers-Briggs, I test on the introvert side. Okay. That surprises everybody. But you know what introvert really means? It's how do you recharge your batteries, right? Do you yes, recharge yes. your batteries by being like a, like a, a car battery recharges by using the car. You, you drive it around and the battery charges itself. 
versus a regular battery that it needs to like turn off and and <laughs> and and, and <clears throat> you know it needs the quiet uh it, it, it to recharge and i'm really that person uh when i when i was director at presidential classroom which is civic education organization I used to go out and, and deliver these, these speeches to all these kids from all over America. The staff thought it would be fun uh, to give me a phrase as I walked on stage that I had to work into the speech because I was so comfortable on stage. So they would hand me, for example, a three by five card that would say Jamaican bobsled team. And I had to do this speech about these kids being in Washington DC, learning about civic education and somehow work in whatever phrase they gave me. And, and very comfortable doing that, but would need the quiet reflecting time following that. And, and that was probably true. I, you know, as a, as a student, um, finding a quiet spot in a library uh, would, is something I would do all the time. Get out of my house and, and ride my bike to the library and, and just sit and read. I, 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 that's what sort of gave me a chance to recharge. And I will say in high school, I was student council president. Uh, that probably wouldn't surprise many people. Uh, <laughs> and in fact, I wanted to run for student council president when I was in 10th grade. And of course, like every school in America, that's something a senior gets to do. Yes. I, I challenged on uh, the Philadelphia Students' Bill of Rights that I had every right to run for student council <laughs> president, one in 10th grade. So I got to serve for several years at, as student council president. Uh, and uh, honestly, that was more important to me than anything that was happening in the classroom. And in many ways, I think I'm still student council president. I'm still running special events and I'm running conferences. And, and you know, uh, if you really think about what I did in those years, I, in some ways, I feel like I'm doing the same thing today. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I was not a stellar student. Uh, and I think it's just because I, other things mattered to me more. Uh, even when I wasn't doing student council stuff, it would be running and doing volunteer in a political campaign, very interested in politics as a kid, uh, and thought that that was much more important to go out and, and work for Hubert Humphrey against Richard Nixon <laughs> uh, in 1968 was much more important than doing my math homework. Uh, I didn't understand why people didn't realize that because I was very earnest that, no, I'm trying to save America here. <laughs> Who cares about math homework? Well, in a way, you know, the passion that you had then, you truly were in training for what you're doing now. Um, you know, it's, it's much of the same. You've got the passion, you involve people, you make feel, people feel important. Um, you've been a national thought leader for this country in many ways. And so you've seen a lot of the country, you, you're aware of a lot of the topics. Um, what would you say right now, uh, in your opinion, is, is really one of the greatest social injustices that we face as a country today? Oh boy, I mean, it's impossible to look at what's going on today and not look at uh, racial inequality and, and uh, 
police actions as they relate to uh, citizens of color. Uh, I think that it, it, it shocks me to be honest with you, Tom, that in America 2021, that uh, elderly Asians are getting pushed down on the street and being blamed for, for a virus. E even if you wanna blame China, what does that have to do with an elderly Asian woman walking down the street? That's right. Uh, or, uh, you know, citizens who are black being pulled over dramatically more likely to be pulled over for traffic stops, let alone much more likely to be involved in violence afterwards. At this point, who would blame uh, a young black man from being terrified by being pulled over by the police? I'm not terrified. You're not terrified. Police call me over. I may be disgusted, but I'm certainly not terrified. I think that's got to be resolved. Uh, but, but the issue, I think schools have to figure out how do we teach without indoctrinating? How do we, uh, how do we make sure that empathy and understanding is part of the curriculum? Uh, I think that we have, to, we have to be thinking what's going to lead us to a better place in 2031. Uh, and I guess... The thing that uh, gets me a little depressed is if you would have said to me in 2011, I would have said, oh, things will be better by 2021 because kids have friends that are multicultural and yes. people are getting married and, and having children that are of mixed race and that races can become so unimportant it, it by 2021 and and yet here we are and whether that is because of anxiety uh, among uh, white population that they're losing their their control they're losing their leadership of the uh, of the United States not sure what it is uh, I remember back in college reading the book the other America by Michael Harrington mm. uh, it was a book that probably changed my life back then. But the really? book dealt with what was the basis of racism in the 60s? And why was it that a middle-class family in Vermont had no racism, but a middle-class family in St. Louis was racist? And it came to the conclusion that where you felt for, the, for white working class Americans that the fear was that they had little to hold on to. And if they lost that, they're in, they're in an awful place. Whereas professional class and others didn't have that sense of dread that as the world changed, that their lives were gonna be disruptive. And the reason I say that it, 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 I look at it now and I bring it up, it's, boy, that's what we've just lived the last four years, right? To exploiting the, the anxiety of white working class America. The question I, that I think we have to resolve is what role do schools play in that? And, and I think it would be safe to say that schools in uh, above the Mason-Dixon line, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. certainly schools in the Northeast and schools in big cities 
have realized that that's part of their responsibility is teaching that kind of cultural understanding uh, piece and, and appreciation for multiculturalism. I think that we are all kind of learning that that wasn't going on. That wasn't being taught That's in right. schools in the South and in Texas. And in fact, their textbooks in Texas don't look like the textbooks. You know, I'm an old American history teacher. The book I used in Philadelphia is not the book they're using in Texas. And, and mm. it, anyway, I, I, it seems to me that if we wanna end up in a place of, of understanding and appreciation and harmony, uh, that I, I keep hoping that we're heading in the right direction and it feels that half the country moves in the right direction and half the country just panics. And, and it reminds me of uh, the basic thesis of that other America. Well, that, that resonates so much with me because I'm the oldest of seven children and my mother was a public school teacher and I saw her get up at five in the morning, put breakfast on the table. Uh, she'd go to the school, walk around the track to get her exercise, teach six classes, uh, a middle school. And then in the evening, a couple of days a week, she would teach and mentor young parents as to how to be better parents of kids of that school. So the legacy that she left me was very much that if you want to change the world, education is one of the most powerful things that you can pursue. And, and I agree with you, Mark. I think that uh, schools can really take, take the lead in this. And, and um, it's worth mentioning, Tom, that independent schools, I think, have been leading the way in, in teaching that. A, 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 a fundamental belief that multiculturalism in a school is a good thing, that cultural understanding is a good thing celebrating little things, celebrating Chinese New Year, yes. uh, and making sure that the kids in the school understand why some of the kids aren't eating uh, during daylight hours, right? All, all of those things have, are just so fundamental in, in, in so many independent schools uh, that uh, we could all be taking lessons from that. Well, I... Uh... I know that that's going to continue, and certainly with your leadership, that's going to be that's going to be a big part of it. Uh, now, being a successful leader means that we uh, we have someone who has always been there for us, and those are our wives. Um, tell me a little bit about how you and your wife first met, and uh, what did the proposal look like? Oh my gosh! <laughs> so. Uh, my wife was actually dating a very good friend of mine. Uh, and uh, it, it, this was, it, I remember this so clearly. So oh, oh, he would, he used to mow lawns in the summer. Uh, this was back in high school. Uh, he'd mow lawns and I was a lifeguard. So he would get his work done early in the day before the sun was too bad. And then he'd come over and visit me on occasion and, and sit with me while I was lifeguarding. I was lifeguarding, by the way, at a senior citizen's apartment <laughs> complex. Wow. So most of what I did was tell people to stop splashing because hairdos were getting ruined. <laughs> I was but, a lifeguard. I can appreciate this. <laughs> So I was, and and setting tables up for Mahjong games. <laughs> but uh, but it, it, in talking with him, it became clear to him that I was interested in his, 
his girlfriend and he was implying he wasn't all that serious. So if, if I wanted to go out with her, like that was okay with him. And I remember this famous line. And by the way, as I say this to you, my wife is listening in the <laughs> other room. She just came downstairs is I said, well, what's wrong with her? Like, if you're willing to give her up that easily, <laughs> there's got to be something wrong with her. And, and he assured me that there was absolutely nothing wrong with her. And we actually uh, uh, started uh, dating uh, in uh, when at the, she was in high school. She was, uh, I think I had just, uh, I had been out of high school a little bit. Uh, and she was about to start at Syracuse University. So she was going to be far away. And uh, we still went out a few times. And uh, then we were engaged shortly after. I mean, we were actually engaged for three years. Wow. Uh, waiting, for, uh, uh, waiting for her to graduate from college and uh, <laughs> all that. She's shaking her head no, because it might have been two years, three years. <laughs> including dating for a year then we weren't then the engagement for two so i have to stop looking at her because i'm sure she's going to she's going to be she's rolling gonna her critique eyes. you yes <laughs> and well, she's I, uh, for sure by the way thinking why in the world are you talking about this <laughs> <laughs> well i think one of the things for me it's it, everybody's got a unique story it, it's absolutely unique to the to the particular person well, thank you for, for sharing that. And I listen, you have been so gracious with your time, but let me, let me ask you, given all that you've seen in your career and you know, working with young people and fellow professionals, if there was one thing that you'd like them to know or to think about, if you were gonna put a big billboard on the freeway of life, let's say, what would you want to say? What message would you want to impart? Oh, gosh. The thing that, that popped into my head immediately, and so I'm going to go with it. Uh, this was not planned, right? <laughs> so uh, is, is the importance of kindness uh, to to act in ways that demonstrate empathy and kindness toward others, understanding what others are going through and, and finding a way to, to, to help them, serve them. Uh, I, I just think that we'd be a whole lot better off. And maybe that's in part a reflection and looking at the world uh, we seem to be in at this moment where uh, everything becomes so... Uh, oppositional, uh, from wearing a mask to getting a vaccine to, you know, uh, uh, things said to, to people on the street who are of a different race, that if we could all just live our lives with a, letting kindness uh, lead, lead us, I think we'd be in a much better place. Well, I don't think anybody would uh, disagree with that, particularly with these times. Mark, you've been so gracious with your time. This has been a delight, and I hope that we can do it again sometime. That would be wonderful. I look forward to seeing you in person someday. Soon. Absolutely. <laughs> now, when, when is ICEA going to uh, do face-to-face? -face? Have you got a plan for that? You know, that's a good question. Um, we have uh, conferences. You know, we schedule conferences sure. three years out. Uh, so we have contracts for the fall, this fall of 21 to be in uh, Tampa, Florida, 
Oh, whether great. we'll actually be there or whether it'll be some sort of hybrid event. We've even talked about doing sort of small satellite events sure. across the country. Uh, or if not, certainly I would hope a year from now, uh, we are scheduled in the spring of 22 to be in Philadelphia. Okay. And right. I would think that uh, there's little doubt that by then uh, we'll be back together. Oh, Lord willing. I know. Not I don't know about you, but I'm sick of those masks. <laughs> <laughs> I just wish you and your family uh, a very safe spring and, and much uh, continued success for IECA. And, and again, thank you for everything, Mark. Thank you, Tom. Although I have to ask you what your anniversary is since we've the same. I wonder if we actually were married on the same day. Yeah, well, uh, my anniversary uh, date is it is December 29th. Excuse me, oh. December 28th, 1979. So, and uh, June 22nd. June 22nd. So wow. We're both at 41 years, but uh, uh, it not on the same day. Yeah, but we're both lucky guys. But we didn't have obviously. any. We didn't have mutual guests that couldn't figure out which wedding to go. No, that's to, right. So. That's right. No, we didn't, we didn't have that problem. But again, thank you for your gracious time. Thank Please you, be Tom. safe and uh, have a nice weekend with your family. Thanks very much. You take care. Thank you, Mark. That's all for today's exciting episode of the Admissions Entrepreneur, A Day in the Life, with me, your host, Tom Skank, founder of Dartmouth Associates and creator of the Results-Oriented Recruiting Solution, otherwise known as ROAR. Again, we've been treated to more fascinating stories by our guest. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes so you'll never miss an episode and Share the podcast link with your friends and colleagues. Also, stop by our website at dartmouthassociates.com. That's dartmouthassociates.com to review show notes. Thank you for listening. And until next week, have a terrific day and please stay safe. This episode is brought to you by Winner Marketing. They are a global company that actually understands independent schools. I know, as their advisor, I bring 30 years of educational success, both as a head of school and director of admissions. They don't try to squeeze you into a campaign template that doesn't fit your educational needs. Instead, they first listen carefully to your concerns and develop a creative solution just for you. They understand the increasing competition in the marketplace and aggressively pursue a comprehensive campaign to elevate the school brand to your target market. Their precise approach guides potential families from awareness to inquiry and to finally enroll. They use world-class methods to raise credibility and rankings by featuring you in top-tier press campaigns and optimizing your Google rankings with dynamic content. Additionally, they create press releases, funnel and ad campaigns, SMS and email nurturing. Also, they enhance domain authority, create backlink strategies, and engage top-tier retainers to get you featured in platinum publications such as Forbes and Business Insider. They will also create a podcast branding tour to exponentially increase your exposure. They've got the skills to help small nonprofits to multi-million dollar corporations. Contact them now. They can save your school. You can reach them at their website, which is winner.com 
W-Y-N-N-E-R marketing.com. That's Winner Marketing, W-Y-N-N-E-R marketing.com. Or reach them via email at info at wintermarketing.com. That's I-N-F-O at winner, W-Y-N-N-E-R marketing.com. This episode is sponsored by the Ninjagram app. Let's talk about automating your social media with the Ninjagram app over at www.ninjagram.app. This Instagram software will help you automate and grow your Instagram following fast by using their auto follow, auto unfollow, auto comment, auto like, and auto story views feature, and much more. Get over to www.ninjagram.app today to purchase and download the Ninjagram app at www.ninjagram.app and start growing your Instagram following fast today. Also, I want to give a shout out to my producers over at Hype Music Network and jwattproduction.com. These guys produce all my episodes and I trust no one else to bring the quality performance I demand every time. If you need help with your first podcast, they will take you by the hand and guide you through the whole process. Visit them at hypemusicnetwork.com. That's H-Y-P-E-M-U-S-I-C-N-E-T-W-O-R-K.com and at jwattproduction.com. That's J-A-Y-W-A-T-P-R-O-D-U-C-T-I-O-N.com. You will not be disappointed.